This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County welcoming you to the April 2021 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. This month, I'm thrilled to have with us Talking Head and co-founder of TomTom Tom Club, Chris France. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, David. Good to be here. That's great. So Chris, with his wife, Tina, Tina Weymouth, sits on the Artists Advisory Council of the Cultural Alliance. So I'm particularly pleased to get to know Chris a little and to talk about his recent memoir, Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina, that I actually strongly recommend to everyone. It's a great read. I'm calling the show, This Must Be the Place, after of course, one of Talking Heads' great iconic songs, not only because of all the amazing places so colorfully celebrated in Chris's book, but of course, because of our own place-based organization and our celebration of the arts, culture, and creativity going on right here, of which Chris has been a part now for, wow, uh, probably like 30 years. <laughs> I think, so I think it, let's see, we, we, moved, we moved to the town of Fairfield in 1985. So wow. it's been a few <laughs> years, a few good years. So um, I want to start with the book, Chris. Um, I mean, really, wow, it's actually a great read, packed with adventures and full of an incredible array of characters. <laughs> I mean, just perusing the index gives you like this 30,000 foot view of all the people and places you've got to know, worked and played with, and a very detailed view of the music scene of the 70s and 80s. I mean, it really does an amazing job at that. Well, well thank you very much. I, I'm I'm happy you enjoyed it. You, you know, some of some of my detractors, of which there are very few, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> some of them said, "It's just a list of name dropping," and, oh and I, I thought, yeah. "Well, of course it is." <laughs> I mean, when I read a book, I, I, a, a memoir in particular, I want to know who, who that person yeah. met and what, what their impression was of that person and, you know, yeah. what, what conversations ensued. And, you know, that's very interesting to me. It's those little vignettes you get. I mean, very sharp little port mini portraits of people that it's yeah. not just the names. I mean, you really do present the people. I think yes. really well, thank well you. In, like snapshots. Um, but I, I have to say, I do want to, um, as, as this is all taking place while COVID is still raging out there and we're having to do this by Zoom at a distance, um, I do have to ask you how you're doing. I mean, how are you coping with the isolation and social distancing? I mean, as I think was pointed out in the book, musicians have to play music to keep sane. Yeah, um, and not much of that's been going on over this last year. Uh, how have you been keeping the creativity going during this period? Well, you know, I, I I've been having a lot of conversations on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, right. like, who's Zooming? Who, baby? But right. I I, uh, I I 
I feel like it, this has not been one of the most creative periods of my life, but it has been really good for, um, I mean, I, I, the book was published in, it was supposed to come out in May and, yeah. uh, of, of this of this past year of 2020. And, and then it was because of COVID, it was delayed until July. And since, since July 21st, and even before that, I've, I've just been doing a lot of publicity, you know, yeah. um, uh, I'm happy to say that there's been a lot of interest. So, so that, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't, I haven't uh, been doing much in the way of real music, uh, cr creating music. I've been li listening to a lot of music uh -huh. yeah. and I, I've been, uh, I, for me, it's been a time of reflection, uh, a, a time to think about, uh, well, for example, I lost my mother to COVID um, uh It'll be one year ago on Sunday. And, oh my gosh. Uh, that, that was, I yeah. mean, I, a lot of people are in the same position as, as I am uh, regarding that. And, uh, you know, it, 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 and my wife's father, he didn't die of COVID, but he also passed away mm. at age 102. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a time for us. Uh, I, I'm of a certain age now. And uh, it was a time to reflect on how fortunate I've been, but, uh, but also, you know, what can I, what do I have to do to keep it together? So, yeah. so that, that, that things, you know, continue to flow in a productive way. And so I, ha I have some ideas. Huh. I'm, I'm going to start. In fact, I've got a, just recently had a big delivery of art supplies that I um, I'm going to start an, an illustrated book. Fantastic! I've never yeah. I've never I studied painting. Yes, of course. And, uh, but I've I've never studied illustration or or I've never been much for like uh, you know let's let's say children's books. I, I I didn't really think I would ever do one, but I, I hope to do a book. That, that is uh, illustrated and uh, suitable for both adults and children. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to getting going on that, like maybe even this afternoon. <laughs> wow. So you've been percolating, ideas have been percolating for a while. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's and I've, I've also been uh, in, in discussions for uh, uh, the possibility of a film being made uh, based on the book. Oh, based on remain in love. So, oh. so I, I, I can't reveal anything concrete yeah. at this yeah. time. You've, you've probably heard that it takes a, it takes a while to get a film project going. <laughs> really? Yeah. But, but I've been in some talks about that. Um, you know, I heard your um, discussion with James Prozac that you did. Um, oh yeah. The Fairfield university bookstore. Yes. Um, and that clearly, I think you, then you were thinking about that, and James clearly has that knack of being able to bring yeah. words and um, images together. Yes, and, his his work is fantastic, and and, and I love that it, you know his his knowledge of the flora and fauna of our of our area. Yeah, 
Um, so I, I mean, I was going to ask if you had been painting, um, I, you, but I, this is I a way been. of that painting uh, gene to really surface, I guess. Yes, I have not done a, you know, uh, as I said, I studied painting. Um, that was at the Rhode Island School of Design, which is where I met Tina and where I met David Byrne and, uh, and a lot of other people that were very influential in my life and uh, uh, mostly a good influence. Yeah. <laughs> I <might add>. And <laughs> uh, 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 at, at a certain point, music just kind of took over. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, as you may know, music and art, it's, it's, it's doing, making music or creating a painting or a drawing. It's, it's really the same impulse, the, the need for creative expression. So my need for creative expression was pretty much satisfied by the music we've been doing over the years. But as I said, now that I'm at a certain age, I can, I can see the value of, uh, going back to some painting. I mean, yes. uh, I've noticed that, that a lot of people who are known as musicians when they start painting, people don't really take them very seriously, but I, I don't think that matters. Uh, I, I don't care what people think. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, yeah. yeah. You have a certain confidence in yourself and yes yes and and i i know who my audience is and and i i uh i i think the the people that love the music will will also be um interested to see some paintings yeah. well, that I, well, I can't wait to to see this thank uh, you here's some more um so back to the book um and the other thing for me is just the incredible detail i mean it's amazing the detail that you uh -huh. have. Um, and I can't imagine, I mean, if I can think of a period of my life, I mean, I can think of a room, but just the detail that you managed to get was incredible. I mean, did you keep journals? Did you take photographs? Did Tina, was Tina there to help <laughs> sort of fill in the blanks or I mean, um, how did you do I, it? <laughs> I did not keep journals. I, um, Although all along I knew I should be doing so, but I just never did. A couple of times I bought journals. In fact, I have a very lovely leather bound one here that I bought in, I think, Munich. <laughs> huh. And I thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, while we were on tour, and I, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to keep a journal of this tour, but I never did. But, but Tina very, very wisely kept not exactly journals, but date books that she would buy at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh -huh. For example, the one from 1977 has King Tut on the cover. <laughs> Remember him? Love it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the first, what was called, considered to be the first uh, blockbuster art show was when yeah, King, yeah. Tut, King yeah. Tut came to America. But, but so she had these date books that I could refer to and uh, at that time, Tina was, was besides playing bass guitar, was kind of, uh, our tour manager. She kept the money and kept the accounts, which she would later turn into our accountant. And um, uh, so she had these date books and she would say, for example, great show, three encores, uh, 
Uh, really good promoter. Be sure to come back to this spot. Huh. Or she might say, horrible show. <laughs> Audience was into the Charlie Daniels band. Um, never come back here again. Right. You know, things yeah. like that. that was so like that, all of Italy, right? For you, for you. <laughs> that, that helped spark my memory. Uh, although yeah. I, I've been fortunate I think I in inherited it from my father. I've, I've been fortunate to have a, a very good memory and uh, I'm knocking on wood, but uh, yeah. I've noticed that some of my friends, their memory is not so great. <laughs> uh, well, it's very impressive. I mean, it, it, it really is. How, mm -hmm. how long did it take you once you got started on this? Well, it, uh, opus? I'd say uh, on and off for two years. I, I didn't work every single day. Uh, and uh, sometimes during the Christmas holidays, I would not work for an entire month. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, but I, 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 I put in a pretty good effort on this book. And I, yeah. I, I, I would say uh, maybe 18 months I worked on it. Hmm. And, uh, so. and then, and then uh, my, my editor at St. Martin's Press, a very nice woman by the name of uh, Elizabeth Beyer. She helped me make it a little bit more succinct. Uh -huh. And uh, Tina was also very helpful with uh, <laughs> grammar and punctuation, which is not always my forte. That's great. So that was good teamwork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm cur curious what the impact of this has been on you personally. I mean, um, has it made you more full philosophical, I mean, sort of entering back into, you know, see, seeing, like a film, seeing that whole reel unfold and yeah. things that you may have forgotten about or hidden coming to the surface. I'm just curious what, what the impact of doing such a enterprise yes. is. Uh, well, um, one, one thing that I, that I think uh, became more clear to me as I wrote the book was that being in a rock and roll band, while it was my dream since, <laughs> I, since I was a young teenager, maybe, maybe I wasn't even in my teens yet. Maybe I was only 12, but when, <laughs> when the Beatles came out. Oh, no, right. I, was, I, I was, remember that moment, yeah. I was right between 12 and 13 at that time. But, but um, you know, it was like my dream. I, I never thought I could be as good or as great as the Beatles. Of course, but but um, but but to live that life and to be to be an artist, uh, whether it was music or painting or whatever was 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 my dream, and and I realized that not everybody, even if they're in a rock and roll band, that that was maybe not exactly their dream, uh, and the the lifestyle of being on the road and. Uh, Having, having so many commitments and so many, uh, you know, having to be fabulous night after night. That's not exactly everybody's dream. <laughs> right, right. So, so I think maybe uh, for Tina <clears throat> and also for da David, uh, surprisingly, I, th I think it was uh, more difficult for them than it was for me. I, I, for me, I was kind of like, loving every minute but I don't think they were loving every minute so I so I, I came to understand that uh 
things happen for a reason, you know, and uh-huh. um, uh, maybe, maybe the, uh, the fact that David Byrne no longer wanted to work with the band Talking Heads, uh, maybe that was like uh, something that, he, that was really necessary for him to stop doing you know, uh, emotionally or psychologically or just physically. I don't know. Right. That is. He, he continues to play Talking Heads songs. In fact, Talking Heads is having a very nice revival or was having a very nice revival on Broadway. <laughs> Thanks to David. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I saw that show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like uh, uh, Talking Heads on Broadway, but not called that. Uh, right. Know. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so it seems as if you were meant to you really were meant to play this role because you did it so successfully and there was not so much tension. I mean, was that one of the realizations you you've come to that you were meant this was something that if you like you were meant to do? Whereas, well, yeah, I I, I suppose I was. Hmm. Uh, it, it, yeah, I think maybe it was something I was meant to do or, or, or called to do somehow. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I was very happy in my role as a drummer for Talking Heads and also the drummer for Tom Tom Club. And it was when, it was when things stopped that I sort of got into trouble, uh, huh. Uh, yeah. When I when I didn't have the commitments every day, and I I could be go out into the the night in New York City and be really <laughs> naughty. <laughs> that, that was that was when I I sort of uh, got into a a little bit of a mess. Hmm. Uh, but so thanks to Tina, thanks to Tina and some other good friends, our manager and uh, our, our you know our attorneys and stuff, they, they kind of like, they were like, Chris, you better snap out of it, man. <laughs> and, and I did with, yeah. with their help. Well, I want to get back to, to the writing again, because I'm so interested sure. in, um, like from the get-go, you were, um, like, like basically writing a big book like this is quite different from writing songs. Yes. And um, writing song, I'm just curious, um, you know, you both you and Tina in the book. It's quite clear that you're both fascinated by words and wordplay and the power of words. But more, maybe it's more like poetry. I mean, it's um, um, or it's just so different from writing a you know the long form of a book in which you're um, re- remembering and and you know you have to get the events in the right order and and so on. Can you um, talk a little bit about how you would write, how you would write songs, how, how the songs sure. came to you? Sure. Well, uh, there were two cases, uh, t- two different styles we had of songwriting. Uh-huh. One was um, one was most common for Talking Heads and also for Tom Tom Club was. F- f- you know, we were a band, and so each band member had his own kind of niche or his own own kind of job, 
that he or she would uh, take care of. And huh. you, could, you could count on that person to do a good job. Like mm-hmm. I could count on Tina to come up with a, a great bass part. And I could count on Jerry Harrison to be very, very, create some very cool keyboard parts or maybe guitar parts because he played both instruments. And David, we could count on to come up with some really like different kind of, for want of a better word, eccentric uh, vocals, vocal stylings and lyrics. And in, in the beginning, in the early days, I wrote lyrics also. And that was something that, that I loved to do and I still love to do. Uh, but there came a point where David uh, said that he wanted to be the only one to write the lyrics. And, and so I, I had to just kind of like acquiesce to that uh, in, yeah. order to, in order to keep the band moving forward. And um, so our, our songwriting, particularly uh, up until the late 80s, Wow. was a, a very collaborative effort. Um, uh, David might have ha- might come to us with a uh, sort of little germ of a song, more or less, and then the rest of us would help uh, finish that and, and uh, you know, arrange it and come up with parts that sounded exciting, sounded hip. And... Uh, and he could count on the, us to do that. And he was fine with that. that was fine. <laughs> he was fine with that. Although, although that he could take credit for everything. <laughs> as long as he could take credit for everything, he was fine with that. And uh, uh, then later on, I guess it was with the, uh, the album Little Creatures, he started coming in with actually recorded demos, which were, again, were very sparse. Just himself and an acoustic guitar and a, a drum machine playing a very rudimentary drum part. And, <clears throat> and then we would listen to those and say, oh yeah, we like that. Uh, we can do something with, we can work with that. And then, then we would, uh, you know, go into a rehearsal studio and hash it out. And uh, uh, so it was always collaborative, uh, sometimes, extremely collaborative uh, yeah. writing process right. yeah um, and then with when, when you write a when you write a book it's not like that right, <laughs> right. You, you're on your own right you're, you're, <laughs> you're on <right>. your own <laughs> and it, it the the you know i i was very fortunate that that uh, because of my uh history and in, in bands and stuff i i was able to get a really good agent literary agent and he was able to get me a book deal like within two weeks, everything wow. was yeah. done. Yeah. And uh, had I not had this history of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club, I, it probably wouldn't have been so easy for me to get a deal. But anyway, I did. <laughs> and um, uh, he went to the London Book Fair. I, I, he said, give me three chapters and I'll, I'm going to the London Book Fair next week. I'll, I'll, I'll see what we can do. And he, he took these three chapters to the London Book Fair. And uh, next thing I knew, he was on the phone saying, well, do you want to go with this guy or do you want to go with that guy? Or, you know, oh. and 
Yeah. So it was really easy. But then I had to sit down and write the other, you know, the <laughs> other, the rest of the book. And I, I started to get, you know, some fairly serious anxiety about that. Uh, and I thought, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to, you know, write the whole thing? But I did. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I had, I actually grew to enjoy the process. That's great. Um, they say that most writers hate to write. Uh, and and I, can, I can understand that. It's like, it's like it becomes like a job. Um, yeah. And, but on the other hand, when you, when you've, it's a it's a wonderful feeling to say I have written a book. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's such a substantial <laughs> not, one as well. Not I'm not I'm going to write. Right. A book. That's not so wonderful. <laughs> but but being able to say that it's all done and you're yeah. you're pleased with it that's that's a great feeling. Right, right. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our April edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our guest is co-founder of Talking Heads and TomTom Tom Club, Chris France. Chris and his wife, Tina, sit on our Artists Advisory Board and as members of Talking Heads, were recently awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And Chris recently published his memoir, Remain in Love. So Chris, a couple of things really struck me about the book, I mean, apart from the detail. One was that youthful determination you had coming out of RISD, uh, that determination to form a band, the determination to live in New York, the capital of uh, world culture, that determination to create a unique sound, you know, a band that sounded like no other, and all of this in the hell of the Bowery in the mid-1970s. I mean, can you tell us a little about, about that and where that kind of determination came from? Because it seems to me that the success of Talking Heads and the fact that it kept together as long as it did was actually driven by that determination and vision of yours to, to keep, it, keep it going. Well, thank you for noticing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I was just born with this determination. Um, but I, I definitely had it and, and I still do. If I set my mind to something, I'm, I'm very determined. Um, as, as see, see the book, I guess. Once yeah, you started, yeah. you were determined to get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, it was, it was so romantic, you know, David, <laughs> I mean, it, it really was, I was, I was in New York with, uh, my uh, girlfriend Tina Weymouth, right. wife to be, and uh, we and we were living in this, you know, horrible, really, really <laughs> very bad neighborhood. Um, uh, together with David Byrne, we had we had no shower in our place. I had I had bought a water heater, but that you know to hook it up this was, we were living in like what they call a raw loft. And um, uh, I bought a water heater and then I realized, I don't know how to do this. And I, <laughs> and I can't afford a plumber. 
<laughs> so, so I eventually just sold the water heater to one of my other RISD friends who, who needed it. And we would, we would go like with, with our towels under our arms to our friend's house and make some polite conversation and then say, Hey, you mind if I take a shower? <laughs> and they, they always said, yes, nobody ever said no. So, so that was, that was how we lived for, but you had must have had some kind of vision of what you wanted to do. I mean, you were yes, really driving yourself forward. Well, l living in those conditions uh, was was uh, very motivating. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh boy, we better get down to business. But but um, you know we yes we we were uh, we were all three of us I think pretty driven. Uh, to to make our mark in music history, mm. and that you know, uh, with Talking Heads, we were we were very interested in in uh, have creating popular records, you know, records that would would become popular, and we were also very interested in, uh, I mean, who wouldn't be making a little extra money so that you could you know do nice things, yeah. Yeah. but but what really motivated us was the desire to uh, be remembered, to have our music be remembered into the future. And, and when people look back, they, they might, they'll, they'll remember Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. Yeah. And I, I think Tina's, well, she did say it when Dick Clark asked her on national television on American Bandstand, his TV show, it, you'd be amazed at the power of American bandstands. I mean, yeah. Yeah. but he said, uh, Tina, what do you, what do you all hope to uh, uh, do with your, you know, with your music? And she said, well, we'd like to make our mark in music history. And, and that well, that was our big motivating yeah. ambition. Right. And uh, thank goodness we kind of did it. We actually did it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The other, you know, the other thing that really struck me was, um, how can I put this? Just your, your fairness, your sense of fair play, um, and kind of your determination to be, to be positive. It seems you have in the book, you have a kind word for everyone. Uh, although you do point out quite clearly when people were being selfish or destructive, um, yeah, but it's really a book full of heroes. Uh, there are very few villains. I've, there are a few villains along the way uh, yeah. who really tear things up. But um, so, I mean, again, that's that's in your nature. You think you look for the good. You look. Well, for the I, I do try to. Yes, I, I uh, at some point I don't I don't remember when, but at some point in my life, I decided that I was going to choose to be optimistic and to. Uh, well, for for want of a better expression, uh, to to observe the golden rule, hmm. you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I just decided to be like that. And um, do you remember when? Do you was there a point in which you? I, I think it was in my high school years. Oh, yeah. That I became aware of, you know, the kind of power of positive thinking and being okay. positive. Right positive reinforcement and uh, it, it worked well for me. It really worked. 
And I, I recommend it as a, as a way of thinking. Well, I guess the title of the book, Remain in Love, I mean, clearly refers to Remain in Light, the, your fourth yes. album. Yes. And also, obviously, a reference to your this wonderful continuing state of being in love with Tina. But maybe also your sense that love, looking out for other people, is really your own kind of guiding principle and philosophy. Um, yes, I, 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 th I think it is. I mean, uh, a Jamaican uh, musician once said to me, his name was Dillinger. Uh, <laughs> he, sa he said to me, Chris Mann, why be ugly when you can be beautiful? And huh. so, so that's how I feel too. Yeah. And I like right at the end of the book, Tina's statement that the opposite of love isn't hate, but actually selfishness. Um, yes. And yes, dealing with others, you yourself don't move on as other unnamed people <laughs> tended no. to do, but you remain and, and being consistent and being and valuing the relationships that you have. Yes. Uh, is I, I, I understand that some people feel a need to move on, as they say, out of, out of some sort of self-preservation. Huh. Uh, for their own mental health or their physical health. They, they feel a need to uh, turn the page as yeah. it were. Yeah. But, but I, I, I'm a big believer in loyalty, not, not stupid loyalty, but like kind loyalty. So I did want to um, turn to your sense of place or the importance of place in your own life and the life of your own um, and your bands. Um, I mean, you moved, you moved, first of all, you moved around a lot when you were growing up. Is that right? Uh, mostly because of uh, your- A fair amount. My, my father was in the army. Uh, Tina, for example, moved, I, th I think she went to 13 different schools when she was growing up. Uh, she moved around a lot more than I did because- uh, but, but um, yeah, I moved around enough to, so that I, I could appreciate the, the differences in different uh, parts of America, you know. Right. Well, you, uh, the, I think there was Kentucky, Massachusetts, Charlottesville, Pittsburgh, and each place seemed quite important to you. But it seems perhaps no place had greater impact than Kentucky, where you were born, where you yes. went back to get married. Yes. Um, that was really the, your kind of sense of roots. Yes. I, I, I love Kentucky, and uh, it's a shame about their politics down there. Yeah. But my, <laughs> I have my, to agree with you. <laughs> my, uh, one of my cousins is the mayor of, huh. well, he was recent, uh, he was a mayor for three terms of Maysville, Kentucky. And, uh, he, that's the town where, for example, Rosemary Clooney and George Clooney are from there. Uh, uh. And uh, uh, he, I said, David, what's the matter? He's a Democrat. I said, David, what's the matter with the people in Kentucky? Why do they keep reelecting these, you know, bad people? And he, he said, well, Chris, you got to understand, we still have snake handlers in church down here. <laughs> and so it, it's a, 
you know, sometimes it's just a different world from the one exactly. we live in here in Connecticut. Right. But anyway, I made wonderful, wonderful friends that I'm still friends with to this day down there in Kentucky. And um, I had my first romance there. And uh, my first job, my first real job was there. And, and you know, what about the music? Was the music, I mean, did, did the music well, have a big impact on you or not, or not really? Uh, you know, uh, what we were listening to in those days was, <laughs> was uh, either music from England or music from San Francisco or, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, some, yeah. Old, some old blues or something. We, we weren't too big on bluegrass or, or uh, right. you and know, it's the, ironic the, that the, CBGB the, is named partly after bluegrass, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, let's see, what's going on here? All of a sudden, my, can you hear me? Yes, I can see and hear you. You're fine. Okay. Uh, so I have an Adobe oh. Flash thing. Oh. Uh, uh, <clears throat> We were the, the the time I'm recalling is is uh, you know uh, the bands like Cream and uh, 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 who else uh, Led Zeppelin you yeah. know uh, all those kind of bands were the bands that were were exciting to us and uh, we weren't so excited by indigenous Kentucky music. Uh, Right. But now, now I appreciate it to no end. <laughs> um, so then, of course, there was RISD, the Harvard of art schools, <laughs> where you met Tina and yeah. David. And that, that obviously had a huge impact on yes. really your launch pad, right? For, for... Yes. Uh, it, was, it was such a good idea for me to go to RISD. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm so glad that I did. And, um, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, the early 70s, which was a wonderful time to, to be in, in college. And, uh, and I, had, I had some, not all, but some really great teachers there mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, they say you can't teach art. And, and it's true that it's not easy to do so, and, and some people just can't. But there are, there are people there that can, and, and they can. Uh, one thing that was instilled in us, which carried over into t our music with Talking Heads, was that it's fine to, be, to, to emulate and to be inspired by the artists that came before you, like mm -hmm. you know, Mark Rothko or... Uh -huh or uh, Robert Rauschenberg or Andy Warhol or Matisse or Picasso or whoever turns you on. It's fine to emulate them and it's fine to be inspired by them. But in the end, if you wanna be taken seriously, you have to really dig down deep and reveal something in your art or your music that's unique unto yourself. Uh-huh. And this so maybe, maybe that was partly responsible for your own determination. Yes. Unique. Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm sure that it was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that, that was something that I think separated Talking Heads from many of the other bands uh, that came up alongside us. 
um, we we were we weren't we weren't like copying the Rolling Stones or the Who or Elvis Presley. Uh, we we were because we, we never could have beaten them at their own game anyway. But but we we were determined to do something that was unique unto ourselves. Yeah. And I guess there's a kind of a genre, I suppose, of art student band. I mean, uh, of students who are already committed or, or have that sense of the power of the arts that maybe give them an, an edge. I mean, a remarkable number of bands actually. Um, didn't Mick Jagger go to arts, art school? I think he did. I, I, think, I think Keith went to art school. Oh, really? And Mick yeah. went to... They always say London School of Economics. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I think he was there for something like two weeks. <laughs> okay, then moving on. Then there was the amazing CBGB where you forged that relationship with the Ramones. Um, and I think you said if it hadn't been for CBGB, you doubted um, Talking Heads would have got launched. Yes, I, I, it would have been much more difficult for us. And the uh, same with the other bands, same with the Ramones and uh, Blondie and television. Uh, Patti Smith might have made it on her own anyway, because she was she had been around before CBGBs. She had been, you know, reading poetry at St. Mark's Church and stuff. She had she had more than one venue to to perform at, right. but but yeah, CBGBs was like the incubator for for us and for many other bands. And one great thing about CBGBs was, and this was a very smart move on Hilly, the owner Hilly Crystal's part, right. was once you had ever performed at CBGBs. You could come back anytime and not have to pay the price of admission, which wasn't very much. I, I remember, I, me I remember it started off at three dollars, and then, and then after a couple of years, it went up to five dollars to get in. But, but, uh, because if you were a band that had played there, you didn't have to pay to get in. All the bands would go there. Uh, it was like a clubhouse, and we would hang out. And uh, if the bartender liked you, he or she might give you a free beer, you know, or a, or a free screwdriver or whatever you wanted. And so it was, um, it was like a real clubhouse. It, and bands, particularly in the earlier days at CBGBs, there would be like 10 to 20 people in the audience. So if, if you screwed up, if you had a bad night or something like that, or less than stellar performance, not that many people would would have seen it. Yeah, it's not like today on the internet when somebody, you know, makes a video of a crummy show and posts it on YouTube, and all of a sudden you're <laughs> right. you're in trouble. So there was that, but but also, um, it was a. a it, it, it enabled you to, to gradually get better and get better and get better until finally the CBGBs became like a springboard out into the yeah. rest of the world. Right, that's, um, I remember that part of the book where at one point you said you weren't ready for a record yet. You knew how, how much better you were getting, but you still hadn't quite got that. Um, 
well enough. You didn't want to make the mistake of uh, recording when you really weren't tight. And yes, um, yes, we we had we had uh, learned that some bands made a record as soon as they could, and and the records didn't sell because you know a live performance is very different from a recording. A live performance, you know, it's okay if you miss a note or you you do yeah. you, you know mess up a little bit because it's in the it's in the moment and you, you immediately go on to another moment. But when you're listening to a recording, if 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 you're a person who listens to a record more than once, which most of us are, then you don't want to be hearing little mistakes and 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 things that are less less than excellent. You want it to be good, and so we were aware of that, and we didn't want to like blow our one chance at making a record by making a crummy record. Right. Um, so we don't have too much time. I mean, there were the tours. Those fabulous. Obviously, you were in love with Paris. Um, London, yeah. Australia, many, many places. Uh, perhaps Paris is is the number one. Yeah, I think. Place did, did you see, did you happen to see the Hemingway uh, series, the Ken Burns thing? That's uh, I missed it, but I, it's on well, my list. Well, yeah. Well, Ernest Hemingway said about Paris that there's something about Paris that you just don't get in the United States. <laughs> and and, and I, when, the first time I went there, I, 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 I had the same feeling. Huh. There's, and, and, and in most of Europe, really, there, but, but in particular Paris for me was, uh, I, I felt like, wow, this is it. You know, you've got the cafes, you've got the museums, you've got the pretty girls, you've got, you know, you can walk everywhere and it's really fun. You've got the rivers flowing through, you have the splendid architecture. So, so yeah, Paris was great. Um, And then of course the Bahamas um, and the birth of Tom Tom Club, uh, mostly incredible, it sounds like mostly incredibly idyllic. I mean, the weather. Yes, uh, yes. It, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. I always say it was like magic, that first Tom Tom Club album, because uh-huh. we, we were totally, uh, well, we, we had not had any plans to do anything outside of Talking Heads. Our, our hand was kind of forced when David uh, told our manager, who then told us, I'm going to be doing a solo record and uh, I don't know how long it's going to take. And then, and then Jerry Harrison, our keyboard player said, well, if David's going to do a solo album, I'm going to do a solo album. So they, and then Tina and I were like looking at each other, like, what are we going to do? And fortunately, Chris Blackwell of Island Records who had the studio where we had already made two records in the Bahamas with, with talking heads. He said, Chris and Tina, come on down and, and cut a single. And if I like the single, then you can do a whole album. And we thought, Oh, that's perfect. Because all we have to think about is one song. We don't have to think about like an entire album's worth of music at this time. Right. We went down, we cut a song called Wordy Rapping Hood. 
And the idea behind the song was to create a piece of music that would sound good in the nightclubs of New York, like the Mud Club, uh-huh. Danceteria, Paradise Garage, Hurrah, those clubs that were, were really happening at that time. And uh, sure enough, we did it. And uh, I'm, I'm doing an interview uh, next week with a, a magazine in Belgium that, that uh, wants to talk about this song, Wordy Rapping Hood, because it went to number one in Belgium and it stayed at number one for 10 weeks. Wow. So yeah. that's a long time. And uh, uh, anyway, so and the, in the Bahamas, you really were beginning to really do serious producing. I mean, your own producing, learning yeah. how to be a producer. Yes. Like, Re- yeah. Really flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, everything worked out great. So that's why I say it was like magic, because uh, it, it could have gone the other way. And then the move to Connecticut. So... Um, I can't yeah. imagine moving from the Bahamas to Connecticut. I know. Um, but, uh, um, it, well, you know, our, we, we were very fortunate to have a few good years uh, in, the, in the early 80s. And um, our accountant said, a great guy by the name of Bert Padell, who, who began his career as a bat boy for the New York Yankees. And the Yankees passed a hat and said, we're going to send you to college. Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio put in $100 into the hat. And, um, and he went to accounting school. And uh, he said to us, Chris and Tina, you've had a few good years. I think you, you, should, you need some equity. You should buy a house. So, so we did. And uh, we looked around, we looked around New York City and everything seemed incredibly expensive, even back then. And we kept getting further and further away from New York till we got to Fairfield. And we thought, well, we can't get any further away from New York than this. (laughs) And we we got a house here, which which we love and where we've lived ever since. Yeah, yeah. And... um, so now you're part of the scene here. I, uh, I hear that you're, you work with John Reed and FTC, and um, yeah. I was I've impressed done... to, to hear about your, you'd started a, an emerging artists series I, there at I, FTC. Yes, along with some other good people. I, yeah. we, we started this thing called the Emerging Artists Series, which had some very interesting uh, bands. And, uh, and I hope that will continue once the cloud of COVID has lifted. Right. Yeah. I mean, I noted um, early on in your book, you talked a lot about the, how lucky you felt that you had these key teachers. There was the music teacher who pulled you off the, was it the trumpet? And yeah. said, hey, try the drums. Yes, exactly. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> an important moment in your life, I yes. would say. Um, and then the teacher, David Miller, um, who I remember because one of my best friends is also called David Miller, um, uh, who, in, who encouraged you to go to art school. So yes, he like, did. Yeah. Um, so maybe are you now at this point where you feel that you can kind of help to direct and guide and um, mentor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, some- I, 
I've tried to be helpful uh, with with some people and and sometimes I've been able to be helpful and other times I wonder what, Chris, why did you even bother? (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, um, it goes back to being optimistic. I I try to be, um, I I never want to discourage anybody who has uh, a need for creative expression or any other type of expression. Right. Uh, right. You know, uh, I, I'm a person who likes to encourage the youth and, um, and also people, I like to be encouraging to people who, who are maybe my own age or who are having some doubts about, Oh, did I, did I miss the boat? You know, you know, right. Right. Well, I'm really excited about your new book. Um, I mean, the current book is, terrific and I want to recommend it to as many people as I can and I listened to you reading it too on audible that was uh, oh cool I, I, I like that um, and I'm really looking forward to your to your new book so we think what a, a year, another year it'll be out uh, I would say at least uh, okay we, I, year I, or two <laughs> yes I, I it's it's early days still but yeah I think the cycle is about two years. Right. Uh, maybe maybe less this time. That's great. We'll see. And uh, we'll look forward to your other creative endeavors, whatever they may be. Oh, yes. I should say one thing. Yes. We, we, we have a Tom Tom Club has a, a record coming out for a vinyl record for Record Store Day, which is in June. I'm not sure the exact date. There's, uh-huh. come, there's one in June and there's one in July. And uh, it's... Uh, it's an album that, that was never released on vinyl before. It was only released on CD back in the year 2000. It's called oh. the, the Good, the Bad, and the Funky. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's a really good record, if I do say you, so myself. Are you going to be, uh, will COVID allow you to be out somehow celebrating this? or? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I might be out celebrating, but I, I don't think we'll be performing. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, it's a really good record. And, it, you know, it's, of course, a limited edition. Yeah. Uh, on colored vinyl. Really beautiful. Yes, my oldest son is really into vinyl. So I will make sure he, uh, he gets a copy. Well, our 55 minutes has gone so quickly, Chris. Uh, so much more I'd love to talk with you about. So thank you very much for your time. I know you're quite busy on Zoom with, with many interviews <laughs> around the globe. So well, I'm very thank you very much, David. The time. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You have been listening to our April edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our guest was co-founder of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club, Chris France. Chris and his wife, Tina, sit on our Artists Advisory Board, and as members of Talking Heads, were recently awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. We were discussing Chris's recently published memoir, Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina. If you missed part of the broadcast or just want to hear it again, you can hear the show on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Please tune in Monday, May the 10th 
for the next edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture. <laughs>